Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 177 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. Also brought to you in part by Grace Design Preamps. You've seen those silver and black boxes on the stage of some of the finest acoustic players in the world. There's a reason why they trust Grace Design Preamps to plug their beautiful instruments into. If they have to plug in, they're probably plugging into a Grace Design Preamp. So thank you to Grace Design, and also brought to you by Acoustic Disc, where you need to go and sign up for the email now because they send you a free treat of the week. That's one free song from their incredible catalog. And obviously you can buy anything off that incredible catalog there on the website in high-definition downloads, and you can listen to Dog and Danny Byron's podcast, Acoustic Encounters, as well. So head over to Acoustic Disc. Hope everybody is doing well. Happy Friday. Today is a big new release day, Mighty Poplar. It's also Ethan Satiwan's release day as well. His album Gambit is now out. I highly recommend you check them both out. I'll talk to Ethan next week for the episode. Wow, I just got back from Nashville. So much stuff. Um, first off, thanks to everyone who, who stopped and said hello at um, at Carter Vintage or and at uh, Dee's Lounge. It was really, really nice to, to talk to so many people who listened to the podcast. It was awesome. I had a great, great time. Um, the Carter thing, I've been getting a bunch of links from people to see if I had seen Don Julen's post about Carter. I also was there this week. Um, I will say I had a similar experience and it was just really a, a big reminder um, of what a couple great people, uh, Walter and Christy Carter are and what they built was so phenomenal. And, you know, that's just goes to show that you, you can't just buy a name and, uh, and then, make it an, an incredible experience. And so what I would say is apparently there might be some rules. I don't know. Um, I would definitely read Don Julian's post and th anybody, I guess for, from my point of view, if you're coming from a long distance away, like I did, I mean, for me, that was the, the place I had to visit. And I know reading replies and reading some posts that uh, I'll, it's the same thing for a lot of people and there may be some different rules about mandolins and maybe possibly making appointments I don't know I would just recommend calling there ahead of time and uh, and checking in because if you're going to go there and you want to play mandolins it would be a super big drag to not be able to play mandolins after traveling that distance so uh, I will say that and again um, Christy and Walter, what they built was was a really magical place. I mean, before I even had a podcast, uh, Christy was so nice to my wife and I the first time we visited there. We came during an ice storm. She literally offered to bake cookies. She got out two lowers and a fern for me to play and then just left me in that incredible room with those mandolins for hours, really. And then when I told her I wanted to go get lunch, she mentioned uh, a place for lunch right in the parking lot there. And uh, I'm like, oh, do they have beer? And she's like, ah, they don't have beer, but go have lunch and come back and have beers with us, you know. And so that was a type of experience that uh, that I'll always remember fondly from there. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to thank uh, Christy and Walter for 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 what they built for the mandolin community and I guess all instruments. But for me, the mandolin community as well. So that's all I want to say about that. Uh, I did record four tracks while I was there. I recorded at the same studio that this Mighty Poplar album was recorded at. And Mark Howard, I just want to send my thanks out to Mark. I don't want to talk too much about the project yet until until it's a little bit closer to finished. 
Um, I have some amazing special guests, and it is a little bit different than um, something that's been put out before, I think. And um, Mark was really into the the idea and the concept behind the recording. And man, what a great guy. What a great experience. I was so nervous, obviously, going in there and just pulling up and meeting Mark right outside and, you know, him helping me bring stuff in. I was calmed down immediately. And, and it was, uh, you know, it's a pretty intimidating people in the in the room with me there. But the whole experience was incredible. And I can't wait to share it with you. I just got rough mixes last night. I'm scared to listen back. <laughs> so much fun, though. So anyway, thank you to Mark. And uh, yeah, it was really it was incredible. I, I love it out there. Okay, let's get into the sponsors this week. Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Peghead Nation features an incredible lineup of mandolin instructors, including Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. You can learn it all. All the courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. She uh, texted a little bit with uh, my buddy Adrian from Northfield, and they've got some exciting stuff coming up. Really excited to talk about that. Tone Slabs. Used my Tone Slab in the studio for about nine hours. Loved it. Frank Sullivan and his partner David Welch are putting some incredible slabs of tone together. Go to toneslabs.com and check it out. They got all the shapes you could want. And actually, they just had a great video from the Slabratory on their Instagram asking for suggestions as well. So go check out toneslabs.com. Get yourself a slab of tone today. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Sound and look beautiful. Be sure to follow them on the Instagram and Elderly Instruments. I always have a great experience at Elderly Instruments, and Elderly is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 51st year, they're family-owned and operated the ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at Elderly.com. Heck, give them a call, 517-372-7880. Let's get into this episode with Andrew Marlin. Cheers, everybody. I remember very well on a dark and dreary day Just as I was leaving home Okay, man, it is my pleasure to always be able to welcome back to the podcast, Andrew Marlin. How's it going, Andrew? Uh, doing great, man. Glad to be back on the show here on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you back, and I'm glad for the uh, for the occasion, too. The Mighty Poplar album is coming out on the 31st of the month. And I remember you telling me about this uh, prior. You might have even told me about it uh, before I saw you at the Green Mountain uh, Bluegrass and Roots Festival where you guys were all taking photos and, and jamming. And I've been excited to hear it and, and just having it for the past few weeks. It's, it's not left my, like if I'm on a walk or working out, that's I'm playing it. If I'm driving to a gig, I'm playing it. It's just an incredible album. 
man thanks for listening to it oh my gosh absolutely um how did this whole project for you come together with these guys um you know it all it's kind of foggy now but um from what i remember it was uh so i got a call from gnome kind of just like feeling it out with me um you know would i be interested in such a project you know like he and greg were talking about it and i was like absolutely man i'd love to do this you know so um we started bouncing around ideas and like um i guess they had already kind of laid out you know what they wanted the band to look like and 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 who and luckily everyone was available to do it so um i think we bounced it around for maybe like a year almost um of just like bouncing around tunes and talking about and trying to figure out when we're going to get into the studio um but um yeah finally it all came together in october of 2020 and I think over the course of about four days, we made the whole record. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. When you're passing ideas around for songs like these, did you pass like demo ideas around with them as well? Or did you just kind of, you know, sit down and be like, okay, here's the songs we talked about. Let's, what are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, for the, so the ones that I was singing, I kind of, I would just do like a voice memo, you know, just like sit down with a guitar and sing it and just send it around, you know, it's like, okay, y'all know this song, but here's my version, you know? Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and that was, that was a really fun process, you know, just to kind of go through and, um, just sit down and sing a lot of songs. You know, I often, um, forget that I can do that. Just grab a guitar and strum and sing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like, uh, it's, uh, it's so wonderful, you know? And like, and that was, that was a really good excuse to do that and just like, just go through so many different songs. Um, but I love the ones that we ended up choosing for the record. Which ones are the ones that made it uh, are ones that you picked directly? Um, man, a good a good bit of them. Uh, so all the ones I sang, I, I brought forward. And then uh, so Critter brought forward uh, two tunes. That's uh, Chris Eldridge on the guitar there. Um, he brought forth um, that Let Him Go On Mama, which I, I love the way he sings that on the record. And the groove we ended up getting on that recording. Well, he likes black coffee fried eggs and a well-done T-bone steak. He likes a red dress and a pearly white teeth and the flash of a pretty long leg. He said, back in the 30s, you know, you never had it made. He worked as an engineer in the Ohio River, working on the Pittsburgh trade. At the inspection office in Louisville, he had a desk for a very um. short time. And then a tune called Lovin' Babe that I believe originally was an Uncle Dave making tune that uh, that he and his wife, Kristen, kind of reworked and, and wrote some new verses to as well. Um, yeah, man. And then Alex brought forward some uh, some fiddle tune ideas. And, you know, then we all got together. It was just like, I don't know, it was so fun, man, the way it all came together and I, just the way we all worked together and, you know, how fast it all happened. I love in the press release where um, he put he says in here, when I think of it from a player's perspective, I don't feel like I belonged in this group, and <laughs> which is, is funny. And I can just from, you know, interviewing you on the podcast and getting to talk to you in person a few times, you just you're, you're a super humble guy. And um, but like when I see when I saw 
your name on there. I'm like, this makes total sense, <laughs> you know, because you're such a great player. And it says, I haven't spent my life trying to improve my chops, but it's, it's not about that. Those, those, you know, obviously the Watch House albums are incredible, but in your solo albums, though, man, like, you know, I, I, I would bet people who weren't familiar with Watch House and just heard those solo albums would probably be as surprised that you're such a killer songwriter because you're playing on those solo albums is is fantastic, man. And I think you belong right in this lineup. Well, I appreciate saying that. I, yeah, I mean, I guess my approach um, usually is, you know, I'll have um, either with the songs that I'm singing in Watch House, you know, they're much slower pace. I feel like I can really explore those progressions in a way that, I'm very comfortable with, you know, it's, it's paced well for like, <laughs> uh, for how quickly I, I don't think, you know, sometimes on, uh, when I'm playing music and, uh, and so that's what I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like, uh, dropping the ball on the groove, you know what I mean? And like making sure that I was, uh, sticking right there with those guys. So I'd try to do a lot of practicing for that session, you know, and, and be up on my chops and just mentally prepared. But, I had no idea, man. You know, sitting down with those guys is, it's a lesson. Like every 30 seconds of what they play is an entire like week's lessons for me, you know, or more. Um, and so I, it was just, it was awesome, man. You know, I've, I've, I've always been a tennis player. Like I love to play tennis. And I remember my high school tennis coach always telling me, it's like, if you want to get good, you got to play with people that are better than you are. And all of a sudden you'll find that you're, almost keeping up with them with their strokes and like their pacing, you know, and like, um, I always find that to be true in music too, that if like, um, whenever I can relax enough to actually enjoy the people I'm playing with, cause they're usually better than I am. Uh, I just feel like I get pulled along. It's like they have their own wake, you know, like, um, they just kind of just pull everyone with them. And that's how I felt in this band where I didn't, didn't feel like I had to try too hard. You know, those guys just kind of lifted me up and was like, dude, we're all going to play music together. Let's go. You know, when you say you were practicing ahead of time for these sessions, like what did that kind of look like? You know, like, was it, you know, like a few weeks before you're like, holy cow, I'm about to be <laughs> locked in a room <laughs> with some of these yeah. guys. No, I think for me, it's more just like putting on the metronome and not at a high tempo, just like at something like 115 or something like that and just play a lot of fiddle tunes, you know, but, but keep them relaxed and, and make it so I can kind of play with the groove, you know, and those little, um, those little ands in there, you know what I mean? Like, uh, whether I'm doing a swing or a drive or, or whatever with my right hand, you know, I just I try to get comfortable with that and, and make sure I stay relaxed. Cause usually if I can do it at those tempos, um, then, you know, having to push pretty hard to get to a faster tempo comes a little easier. Mm -hmm. The groove of this whole album is great. Like it seemed like it would be the the best live show. I, I think you could go see, you could see it in any setting. Like if you guys were playing on a street somewhere and nobody knew who you were, they would stop and listen if they have any soul whatsoever. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> the, because it's just, it's the whole great album just feels great. Thanks, man. Yeah, I feel like we've got a whole tour booked of us basically playing places where nobody knows who we are. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Was there any of these songs that you were surprised by when they came out uh, in the studio? Um, 
Yeah, man. I mean, most of them, I think some of the, some of the grassier ones were surprising to me just cause I'd never played like actually done a, like an actual bluegrass record, you know? And that was, that's a big deal for me. And I just remember listening back to it and it was like, man, this is awesome. Like we sound like a bluegrass band. Uh, and that was a big that was a big deal for me and it seemed like everybody else was uh, super excited about that as well So Gray Eagle was one that uh, that's out now. I I love the way everybody played on that. You know, I just remember like that was one that I was really nervous about just because I know we we're gonna play it at like a good clip, you know. And so, um, but we got in there and kind of talked about who was gonna take, you know, the breaks and when and where and and it all just kind of like everyone settled down. I took a deep breath and next thing you know, like after a few takes, we had it. And I just remember going back and listening to that in the control room and just feeling like we had done it. You know, we had like, we had just made a, an awesome bluegrass instrumental recording, you know? Um, and so I, I, I hope we get to do some more of it just cause it's nice to get to actually play that music in the studio. I think it really reminds me a lot too of um, like the foghorn string band feel a little bit. Man, well, I mean, the Foghorn String Band is like, that's one of my biggest influences in terms of playing fiddle music, you know, like the way Caleb and, uh, and all of them just like lock in together. Like when, when Caleb and Sammy play mandolin and fiddle together, it doesn't sound like two instruments. It sounds like one unit, you know, it's like one completes the other. And, uh, I don't know, just drags you along. This whole record was like just a, just like the best surprise ever. I mean when you guys announced it on the internet was just watching the acoustic world tip on its ear for the first time in a while. <laughs> like just the general collective internet was like, what? That's funny. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what it ends up being, but I, I know we're all really excited about it. So I'm, I'm glad other folks are too. The name mighty poplar. Um, how did that come up? Man, that we, we, <laughs> we threw around a bunch of band names, uh, and didn't know what we we're going to like. We didn't really want to be like, Hargraves, McKelney, Marlin, uh, Garrison, and Eldridge, you know what I mean? It's like a really giant law firm or something like that. Uh, but um, so we tossed around a bunch of ideas and, you know, we're a bunch of silly dudes. And I was just recalling this uh, Doc Watson and Bill Monroe live recording where uh, they go to do what would you give in exchange for your soul? And, uh, Bill Monroe says, uh, now this song was mighty popular down through the Carolinas in 1935 or something like that. <laughs> um, so I thought mighty popular would be a really good bluegrass band name. Kind of a little nod to Bill there. I love, you know, too, everybody in this band, like I'm definitely obviously familiar with, uh, with gnomes playing and, and Chris is playing, um, from punch brothers, but even their playing on this album really surprised me. Like I, you know, gnome is obviously, a, a, a genius as is Chris but just even like the first break it just seemed like totally different playing for even Gnome I mean it's incredible it's mind-blowing and but for some reason it really really struck me on this album yeah I, 
I mean, I agree with you. It's nice to hear them play in this context. You know, I think they obviously can do whatever the song requires, you know, and I think you really hear that on this record that, uh, that they're just, they just have so many little avenues they can take their instruments down. Um, and I think they just got to explore some things they haven't really been able to explore on recordings in the past. Where did you guys record this? Oh, uh, we went out to, uh, in Goodlettsville, which is just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, there's a little farm, and uh, on that farm is a little tractor shed, and uh, somebody converted that into a studio. Um, and it's just this very intimate, cozy little studio out in the woods, you know, exactly where you want to be when you, you get done with the track. You walk out, you look around, and it's just, you know, hills and trees and birds singing and cabins, you know, it's like, it's so peaceful. Um, but yeah, so it's Mark Howard's place. I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Howard or not. So yeah, yeah. it's his spot. And uh, Sean Sullivan was the engineer. Um, worked with Sean on a bunch of my instrumental stuff and some other folks as well. And so um, he was definitely the first pick, you know, to come in there with us and help us gather these tones. I think he did a good job. Yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, I was going to ask, like, how how you guys set up and you know, how, like, what instrument, what which mandolin did you use on this recording? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I used one mandolin on the whole track on the whole CD. Um, but the reason I was able to remember that date was because it was I used my lore, which was signed on March thirty first. So oh, perfect! I I have a cheat sheet there, just written on the inside of my mandolin. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully that's the only the only cheat sheet in there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I keep my grocery lists in there too. You know, <laughs> right, right. Have you um have you acquired any more mandolins? I know when I saw you at Green Mountain, you had picked up a a sweet. I think it was a natural A style. Was that like um was it? Yeah, that little A two Z. Yeah, I got it at Fred Oster's place in Philadelphia. Uh, vintage Instruments. Um, Man, yeah, that's just that's a fun little axe there, you know. They're the the oval holes. I haven't figured out how to play those live yet. You know, I can't get them to mic um, the way I want them to. But I love playing them at home, and I love recording with them. You know, I think we've talked about this before on the on the show. But they're just they're cool little mandolins, you know. And they're not all great, but when you find the great ones, they're so much fun. Have you gotten anything else since then? Um. I don't know if I have gotten anything since then. Um, I don't think so. I'm trying to trying to settle down a little bit and kind of <laughs> declutter, man, and start focusing on music again. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we'll see. How were you, when you guys recorded? Were you set up uh, in a live room? Were you isolated? We were set up in a live room. Yeah, just uh, just in a circle. We had you know a few like little uh, barriers up you know, to kind of cut down on bleed. But for the most part, we're just set up in a circle and played it all live, sang it all live. Um, yeah, just went for it. How'd you uh, mic up the mandolin? I I know it's nerdy, but I love that stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we use an old Neumann KM84, I would say. That's what he usually puts on it. I mean, it sounds like it could have been done a around one mic. It just sounds so natural, which is tough to do nowadays yeah. especially with the technology out there you know even even if you record it uh in a rustic seeming way it seems like yeah. it can be ruined <laughs> you know <laughs> once everything gets mixed and mastered and that this thing just sounds 
yeah, it's just, it's awesome. I love it. It's so warm. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to just remembering that as soon as something's recorded and it gets put out in the world, it's all of a sudden on a even playing field with stuff that was recorded 60 years ago or more. You know what I mean? It's like anything that's been recorded, it's all of a sudden it exists out of time, you know, recording does. So I feel like, um, all the all the norms you know are kind of they shouldn't feel like they're normal to you you know (laughs) you know i mean because for me i I just don't really love like super clean recordings you know i kind of like it when i feel like there's some uh i have to kind of like peek through the haze a little bit you know um especially on all those old recordings when it just felt like nobody was being too precious about it you know they just allowed themselves to go in there and play the music and be human and that's what we tried to bring an element of that to this record as well i I just you're such an inspiration as a musician you're you're out there doing what you love and it permeates in everything you do in my in my opinion and i'm uh, everybody else's opinion who i ever talked to you know it's your recordings and and the way you approach this stuff is a is a big inspiration to everybody out there man so thank you for doing all that oh man well yeah thanks for saying so i mean i'm I have a lot of inspiring friends around, you know, so it's easy to be inspired when you have people <laughs> inspiring you all the time. Yeah. Well, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the American Acoustic Tour for you. Um, I haven't talked to you since then. Um, and just what was it What was it like to play, you know, you and Thelian and Sarah Droz all have completely different mandolin styles, but that might have been one of the most fun gigs I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> It was one of the most fun ones to play, man. You know, um, I I love playing with Thelian and, and Jeroz, man. They're just like they're such good musicians and easygoing people. You know that it like somehow, even with three mandolins, as annoying as that could be, it was like it was really fun and musical. You know, and that's what it was about. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I feel like I just took away that from that entire tour was that. You know, it's about building those communities and uh, and getting out there and sharing the stage with your friends. You know, I think that's like the most important thing we can do as performers is is bring community to the people that are coming to see these shows. I, you could tell that you guys really loved doing it because you guys had a bus breakdown the night before. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, like even even like uh like Dave Cinco and uh, you know, like the sound guys like when I saw them like well everybody was racing around like oh man <laughs> we, you know, like this, we haven't had any time to do anything or sound check or or do any pre stuff you would never know when you guys were on stage because it was just all smiles and and really cool vibes and and you guys could see the love of the music yeah well I mean speaking of Dave and like Mark or sound guy um that all those dudes like the whole crew worked super hard to to make our jobs really easy you know so all we had to do is get up on stage and step in front of those mics and they were ready to go you know um and that that does a lot for a performance and i feel like it does a lot for the creative space that we can all get to together because when we feel like there's not a barrier between what we're trying to perform on stage and what's going to keep it from actually reaching the people that are there watching watching us and listening to us um so yeah the crew did a great job with that i mean they just like they hopped in a car and we're gone they're like all right we'll see you when you get there we'll have everything ready you know 
no pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, oh man, those guys, they're like, they, they're so good at what they do, you know, like there, there was no pressure for them because they, they love, they love that aspect of it as much as we love getting up on stage and playing, you know. What was it like to, uh, playing with Sarah and Chris, did you pick up any things as a player from either one of them that you were like, oh, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you got to spend time with each other. Um, oh man. Yeah. I'm still thinking about all that, you know, like, um, just to me, the, the thing I really took away from both of their playing was how, like how relaxed they were and how they, um, would get in the groove, but they wouldn't, I don't know. They just, it's like, they're not, they're not thinking about it. They're feeling it so deeply that they don't have to emphasize it it's already there and they're playing and like, and in their minds and in their posture, it's like, it was really inspiring to see how easily they tap into the, just the momentum of a song, you know? And so I've actually been working on some of that too, just trying to practice how fluid their right hand and their left hand are together, you know, like, um, I have a tendency to dig, you know, like really dig in and, and get a lot of my pick in between the strings and kind of just, try to force that air out of the mandolin, you know? Um, but the thing that I thought was really cool about their playing is that they're okay to kind of feather it, you know, and let the instrument do the work for them. It was cool to hear both the lures and just yeah. the uh, tonal differences as well live. Yeah. Well, that was, <laughs> I don't know I think the tonal differences was my right hand and Thiele's right hand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the mandolins have much to do with it, but uh, it was cool playing those instruments together. You know, I mean, especially, I mean, me and Thiele are both huge fans of Grisman, and so you can't really separate the sound of two lures being played together, you know, from that sound. Um, so that was that was cool in and of itself, just to hear those two mandolins together. And also, I just don't get to jam with that many mandolin players on stage. You know, it's all it's usually just me you know, with guitar players and banjo players and bass players, but never really two mandolin players or three mandolin players or whatever. Um, but they, they play well together, you know, it's like this whole other thing, um, that I feel like I often feel like we need to have the guitar back there, like strumming rhythm, you know what I mean? But sometimes just, you know, understanding the pace of the song and letting that space just kind of be there is a super fun exercise and a, a really fun way to play music. And then the Watch House, you guys have been doing some duo gigs already this year, huh? We uh, started our duo tour, yeah, like two weeks ago, and um, doing shorter trips this year uh, by design. But uh, but yeah, so we're, but we're basically on tour now through May, I think. So yeah. So how's that affect you as a player in in that band? You know, going from you know like having the whole the whole band with you, and then the intimacy of a duo. You know, as a as the mandolin player, what are some of the changes that you have to make, like both maybe playing wise and mentally? Oh man, there's just so much space with the duo. Uh, like you know, sometimes I'm playing guitar and Emily's playing fiddle, or um she's playing guitar, I'm playing a uh, bazooki or mandolin. And we were just talking about how it really is kind of up to the lead player when we're not singing to, 
take the song anywhere they want to, you know what I mean? And that's so fun. And uh, I've missed that, you know, and I forgot how just, I mean, I guess how expressive that can be, you know, with the duo and how, you know, dynamic it can be too, because not only can we just like kind of turn the tempos around really fast or like um, throw a new chord in there super easily, you know, <laughs> um, but we can also really steer the dynamics um, in a way that I, I, I think is a little harder with the band sometimes. Um, not that the band can't do that, but I just, it's just a little more extreme with the duo, like the quietest moments to the loudest moments. Um, and that, I think that's probably my favorite thing about the duo is how easily we steer those dynamics. What, what, what type of stuff you been uh, listening to lately? Anything, anything cool out there? I always uh, am intrigued. I love the, uh, the Leonard Cohen song that you guys do on the mighty poplar album here. Oh, I love that tune, man. That that song is so heavy, and uh, but the way Leonard does it, it's just like extra heavy. <laughs> it's kind of like it's like what's your spice level? And Leonard's like, I don't know, one to ten. Here's an here's an eighteen, you know. Well, the door it opened slowly. My father came in. I was nine years old. Stood so tall above me His blue eyes they were shining And his voice was very cold He said I've had a vision And you So I tried to, I tried to bring the spice level down To like a level three, you know uh, <laughs> Just so If you didn't want to pay attention to the lyrics You've got a nice pleasant song to listen to you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's the, that's like right along the bluegrass standards. I always love like when you like don't pay attention to a bluegrass bluegrass lyric and you're like, man, this song is so fun. And then it's like, you know, about murdering people and burying them alongside riverbanks. Like, whoa. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes it'll finally like a lyric will catch you and you're like, that's what that song's about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been showing my four-year-old Knoxville girl for this long and like what in the world? Yeah. No, I know. Um, but hey, that's the beauty of bluegrass. Yeah. So anything, uh, anything I love, I just love your the varied songs and varied uh, music you listen to. Anything cool that you've been loving lately? Yeah, I kind of get stuck in ruts, you know. I'm like, uh, or not ruts. I say grooves, um, you know. And I, I try to, I try to listen to a lot of stuff, but I, not everything catches my ear the first time, you know. And right now, I'm still kind of for almost two and a half years running, I guess, just still completely enamored with uh, the Paul Brady and Andy Irvine era of music um, and what they were doing, you know, like uh, you know, Christy Moore and Planksy and all the songs he would bring. Um, starting now to listen to a little more Donald Lunny, who was just this silent killer in those bands, man, like, uh, like every everything he played on, he would play bazooki or guitar or he'd play synths and it's just super musical guy that uh isn't always taking like the solos or is or you know, playing the lead, you know, the lead um melody out there. But he's just doing all these really beautiful textures behind all of that to 
to make the actual melody more interesting. It's like my art teacher used to say, like, um, to achieve a really uh, beautiful positive space, you have to focus on the negative space. And I think that's so true of, of music as well and a lot of things in life, you know. And I, I feel like Donald Lunny was doing that. He was he was playing with the negative space um, and therefore really made the songs like open up for, for Andy and um, that was fiddle player's name. Is it Kevin Burke? I should look that up. I think Kevin Burke's playing fiddle. Um, but anyways, I'm starting to trail off here, but uh, point being, I love that stuff. Like any of those old Planksty records, um, P L A N X T Y, uh, Christy Moore. There's this one Christy Moore record I've been wearing out called Prosperous. Um, it's from 1972. But uh, I think this would have been probably before Planksty, maybe. I don't know all the history. I'm still kind of piecing it all together. But um, but it sounds it's like a young it's like a young sound for that band. Like what they ended up doing, you can kind of hear the like the beginnings of it all on this record, on this prosperous record. And so it still kind of sounds, um, I don't know, almost like American, like folk music, you know, but it's, uh, it's Christy Moore and this amazing band of Irish musicians doing all these different textures. I don't know. I can't explain it that well, but you should definitely go listen to it because it is a, it's a hoot. But I think practicing wise, my main thing is relaxing, man. I swear, I think that's the key to it all. Um, and so I, that's what I practice, you know, whenever I'm practicing is uh, whatever tempo I'm at, I practice on relaxing. And I think if I can relax, then I'll, I'll know how to play it, you know. That's my, that's my hope anyways, that if I'm relaxed, then I can probably play pretty well. How does that relate to stage? I mean, obviously you have great sound guys and stuff like that. Man, you know what I've been doing is practicing with noise-canceling headphones on. Oh, really? What? That's a great idea. Yeah, so I practice so I can only hear the tippy-top of my note uh, <laughs> through the noise-canceling headphones, and so I don't dig quite as much. So then the uh, this is just like when I'm practicing at high tempos, you know, um, so basically it becomes more about the motion of it than the sound of it. And that's been a really great way to learn how to relax with just that, the intensity of how um, fast everything is moving. I feel like it helps me focus on just the movement of it instead of the sound. That is one of the smartest ideas I've heard. <laughs> that's... Oh, well, hopefully it helps. Yeah. How did, did you think of that? Did somebody recommend that? You're just like, Oh, I can barely hear no, what I was, these I was trying to play with the metronome and I um I couldn't put it on my speakers because everybody was asleep except me and so I decided to put the noise canceling headphones on so that I could actually hear the metronome, you know, without having to turn it up too loud. Um and when I did that, it was a perfect mix. Like I could hear just enough of my mandolin to where probably I could probably hear a little more than I usually can when I'm playing with Gnome, but like I could, uh, <laughs> I could just barely hear it. And, uh, it was so fun, you know, because it did, like I said, it became more about the motion of it. Um, and I think that's a big thing, especially on stage when like, even if you can hear yourself, 
it's still sometimes hard to hear because there's so much just there's so much stimulation that like there's there's noise in my brain often because I'm like trying to not just listen to the people in my band, but I'm trying to hear them differently than I'm used to because they're it's not the source isn't their instrument. I'm kind of like having to hear them all like condensed through these speakers, you know, with like only a fraction of the tone that I'm used to hearing coming from these musicians, you know, and so that alone makes it hard to focus on everyone else in the band. Um, so, you know, let alone my own sound. So I felt like with the noise canceling headphones, hopefully I'm kind of tricking my brain into not feeling like it, I have to be able to hear myself in order to know what I'm playing and what it sounds like. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been fun. We'll see. I mean, you might ask me next week and I'll be like, man, that's a terrible idea. Don't try <laughs> we were on tour and those guys just, they told me I, I just played too quiet. And <laughs> yeah, well, just, they can't hear me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? Yeah. Have you guys gotten ready and uh, rehearsed for tour yet? Um, uh, For the Mighty Poplar stuff? Yeah, yeah. No, we're actually, we're going to get together at the end of the uh, end of the month and do some playing and figure out how we're going to uh, get enough material together for a full set, though I don't think we're going to have any problems with that. No, I don't think so either. No, I'm looking forward to it, man. Well, sweet, man. God, Andrew, it's always a just a pleasure talking to you. And... Well, I appreciate you having me on this thing again, and it's always fun to talk to you. Same here, buddy.